Welcome to the Normalizing Millions podcast. I'm a mama of two little girls, owner of a seven-figure and growing coaching company, and I'm your host, Taylor Lee. My mission is to normalize women making millions from work that feels absolutely effortless. Your work changes lives, and with my help getting it into the hands of more people, your life can radically change too. Just don't blink, because with the right tools and advice, all of which me and my incredible guests will share with you in each and every episode, it can change fast. All right, let's dive in to this week's episode. Welcome back everyone to the Fully Free Podcast. I am so excited for today's guest, Amanda Francis. Um, If you don't know Amanda, you probably do, but if you don't, she is the money queen And Amanda has been a mentor of mine for a really long time in all of the ways we've done private coaching masterminds. I've been to some of your events. Um, but anyway, Amanda, you've like helped me so much. It's crazy to think of like when we first connected. So I'm like really excited to share you with my people and and get a chance to chat on the show. I'm excited too. Thank you for having me. Yeah. It was like 2017. I think the first time we worked together. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Which is like, you were like a baby. You were like 21. I was a baby. I was still like fairly new in business, like navigating, like hitting multiple six figures for the first time. And I definitely was not a mom back then. So every single thing has changed. I know what a journey truly. So cool. Well, do you mind taking a second and just letting, um, everyone know in your own words, who you are and, and what you do? Yeah, I'm Amanda. I own the way I think of it in my mind as an online education company because the way my business has evolved, we create digital courses for women in areas of personal development, primarily financial empowerment. Um, in my background, I have therapy. I was a therapist, specifically a play therapist for children for many years. And then I was a life coach for teenage girls and young adult women. And then without meaning to, I became a business coach when I started helping other therapists and and coaches uh, grow their businesses. That was like never really the plan. And then when I was running out of time and energy for that, I created my first digital course on how to start a coaching business. And this was when the coaching industry like wasn't a thing, you know? So Mm -hmm. like, I mean, it was kind of a thing. It was not the thing it is now. And um, I've just continued to create my courses and my online education and mentor women privately here and there, like I did with Taylor. And then I wrote a book, I self-published, it became a bestseller, which is crazy. And yeah, I'm just been on, then met the love of my life who had two children. And so I'm a stepmom and I have two twin boys, like in my uterus in the present. And <laughs> that's my life. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So much has changed in your life and business since we first connected too. And, um, I feel like I got lucky. I got to, to work with you and you were doing a bit more coaching. I feel like coaching was never really like a huge thing for you. Um, well, yeah, I don't know. Like, so I think in the coaching industry, you're expected to coach forever. And as my digital courses became more and more of our focus, I coached less and less and less and less and less. So I like privately mentored like one or two people at a time. And then I'd have like, you know, six to 10 women in a mastermind. Like it was always small. 
and a small part of my business. And then when we first started trying to have a baby, I went like this part, I, it's not sustainable and I don't want to do it anymore, you know, because it was such a small portion of my company's revenue, but it still took up time every day of my life. So I don't know if we'll circle back to it someday, but I have to tell you, I haven't missed it one single time. I was a therapist or a coach for over 10 years and there's not like no days of my life. Do I think, Oh, I want to check in with my mastermind. <laughs> like I loved you guys, but I don't want to be checking in with you on boxer. I really don't. Uh, so I don't know. <laughs> I love it. It just shows people like you don't have to do it a certain way. And I mean, you know how it goes. It's like, there's always like, and it comes in waves. Like you and I have both been in the industry for long enough that like you kind of see it where like everybody's kind of doing the same thing for a while. And then that kind of changes and it changes again. And right now I feel like it does feel like you have to have like the private coaching, the mastermind, the courses, and, and it, it all looks the same. Yeah. And you know, what's the worst part about all of that? The thing that annoys me the most, and I don't follow many people in coaching or personal development at all, because I find it also annoying, but it annoys me that everyone does the same thing. And then when someone has the inspired guidance to do something else, they act like everyone else is so like bad and wrong and doing it the not highest aligned way. And they've evolved more. And it's just like, we're all just trying to figure shit out. Like you aren't better because you phase something out or phase something in a little bit ahead of the curve. I don't know. There's a lot of like, shaming of other professionals inside the, the industry continually that I find really bizarre as a means to set yourself apart. And like, it's just not, I don't know. I don't think it's very like cool or nice of us. I so agree. And I wasn't going to ask you this, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Like, honestly, I haven't really talked about this yet because it feel, you know, the, the things that kind of feel like, okay, this is obviously a touchy subject for people. But there's, mm -hmm. and it's like with all types of things, just like, you know, to be a good coach, you have to be this, you have to have that. Um, I don't know, like this whole thing with, with being trauma informed, which I totally see the importance of, I don't know if you're seeing this, but I'm seeing this like all over my Facebook. And it's like people calling out coaches for not having certain understandings or being perfect in certain areas. And it's, it's even made, I know, cause I've had conversations with clients. I know it's making so many good hearted people feel like, wait a minute. Am I like evil? Am I doing something bad? Am I like, and I just think that's where totally. people are getting it wrong. It's like, even if you really believe that there's something that could make a certain industry or a certain, um, type of professional better. I think the way people tend to call it out is not actually helpful. Right. So I am a trauma-informed therapist and I've endured like complex PTSD and I have all kinds of thoughts and understanding on trauma and under, having an understanding of trauma is obviously helpful when helping anyone with anything because you can recognize uh, tr trauma affects us differently. It's a body response instead of just like a mind or emotion response. So knowing how to identify that is yes, very helpful. Does everyone need to be a trauma expert? 100% not. And it, I found this interesting. I had never really surveyed my audience in all these years. And then last year, we wanted to create a money mentality makeover survey. You know, that's like my biggest course and just ask, you know, the alumni, like, what was your experience with this, this, that, the other, like, what was your growth, your financial growth, like, la, da, da. And we asked them questions like, do you expect Amanda to be 
or do you desire a man to do a, to do a module on money and trauma? And the vast majority of it was either like, yes, no, or like, I'm going to look to a trauma person for that. And the vast majority of people were like, I don't, I don't come to Amanda for trauma. It's great when she like talks about <clears throat> her post personal experience or client experience or like weave something like that in, but that's, that's not like her thing. And they said that about a lot of issues because this happens in waves over and over in the industry. I've seen it happen a million times. If you have to be talking about embodiment, you mm -hmm. have to be talking about this. You have to be talking about that. And everyone who that is their thing <laughs> talks down to everyone who it's not their thing. So like, I don't know, do we need the awareness to say like, hey, this sounds like this is rooted in trauma in your childhood. This is not just a mindset hack. Have you thought about adding someone else to your support system other than me? Like that could be valuable. But to say we all have to be trauma experts is just not what's ever going to happen or that we all have to be any kind of expert. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think everyone's going to have their own areas. <laughs> you can't expect everyone to be exactly the same, you know? Totally. And trauma education is like so important. Like that's true too. I mean, everything's at both ends, but no, I don't like when people shame other people <laughs> on the internet, <laughs> when the other people do valuable things and not every single client you have. I mean, I've worked with a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of people. And a, a lot of, a lot of you guys had like, you know, like little T small traumas, but very few people have brought to me true PTSD kind of trauma. Very, very few. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I feel you. I agree. Um, <clears throat> okay. Good combo. I, have... <laughs> that was deep real quick. Um, yeah. I have a handful of money questions that I feel like I share with my own clients, like your perspectives that you've shared with me. These are just things where I'm like, we just need to get this on recording so everyone can just listen to this over and over when they have money stuff come up. Sure. Um, so obviously the people that listen to my podcast, they have these big money goals. And one thing that I've seen is really common is it almost feels like people don't understand how to have a big money goal, AKA just something they haven't hit before without it feeling heavy and stressful. And I, I don't know about you, but I found it, it's like a really common belief that like you almost have to be worried and stressed about something in order to care about it or to hit the goal. So what yeah. do you think about that? I definitely don't think we're, I think worry and stress kind of shows up as like in resistance to the thing that you're trying to create, not in support of. Mm -hmm. Now we're all going to have worry and stress you know, because we're human beings, like dreaming big and living a life and like moving to our goals. And like, we're going to have moments of like fear and doubt and whatever, but no, I don't think worry and fear as a whole are supportive. So like, for me, the best thing I've ever, I've ever done that I continue to do with money goals is every time I have a new big goal, every single time I have to take it off the pedestal, I have to stop idolizing it. And it has to go from this thing. That's like, the end all be all to just something that is obvious and expected and that I'm naturally going to get to on my path because it's who I am, you know? And so like right now I've had million dollar months, but I don't have a million dollar month every month. And when I feel into a what it would be like to have a million dollar month every month, I have, I was saying this in money mentality makeover module eight the other day that I recorded, like I, I have this bit of like, 
who am I to fucking blah, 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 blah. But I had that same who am I to whatever when I first wanted six-figure months and $50,000 months and even six-figure years, which are $8,000 a month. Like every time I'm like, okay, I'm ready for this thing, my brain goes, who the fuck are you to have that? And then I have to go like, it is just who I am. It is just who I'm going to be. It is the resource I'm going to have. It is the resource I'm going to utilize. It is the amount of money I desire for the next step and next phase of all I meant to do, have, and be. And like, it just is. It just fucking is. And so, but it's not, it just is. And if I don't, then I'm worthless. It just is. And if I don't, I don't know. We got to stop tying it to our self-worth and we got to stop making it such a big deal. And I just, I always have to do the place where I see it as standard to be able to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. That self-worth thing has been like huge for me. (laughs) Not attaching how much money, how much money you make really doesn't mean anything about you except like how much money you decided to make. And that's a hundred percent. It's a reflection of your thoughts and feelings and emotional state and embodiment around money. It is not a reflection of anything else. I love it. Except the other things we make it mean like, we have money tied to a lot of things worth included, but not, no, not innately. And and people also say like the money you have is a direct reflection of like the good you've done and the service you provide, but that's not true either. Cause there's plenty of people not charging well, not paid well, not compensated, doing great work. So that's not really the thing either. Some of us had tie have tied service to money or love to money or worth to money or like something else to money, but it's, it doesn't have to be tied. Money can just exist like on its own plane and be a thing that we're working on separately from all the other stuff, you know? Yeah. Like when I'm tired, I don't expect money to go down. When I'm busy with my family, I don't expect money to go down. Like I just, like money gets to be on its own growth continuum, you know? Yeah. So good. So, okay. Another big thing that we hear a lot about is staying detached is being important, which I just want to hear your thoughts on, but like, what's the balance or even maybe that's not the right question, but like, what are your thoughts? Cause I hear stay detached from what you want, but also like hold the goal, hold the faith, you know, don't give up until even after the very end. Like what is the balance there? Or, or what is your thoughts on that? I think the concept of detachment of not overly like not becoming obsessed with something in a negative way where it consumes you in a way that does not feel good. That is obviously a vibe. But for me, when people would say like, you know, detach or surrender or whatever, those words wouldn't work for me because I was focusing on a goal, moving toward a goal, like believing a goal was possible for me. And those were like active things, you know, like, those were like the verbs, the actions that I was doing. So I don't know, those words never resonated with me, but I think the concept works. But the way it feels to me, or the way I've always said it is like that hold on loosely thing, slash the this or something better thing. So when I'm thinking of million dollar months, I have to think of them as like one, no big deal. Two is expected. Three is something I can handle. La da 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 da. And like, I also have to have in mind that that's still not the end all be all. It is still this or something better. And I'm going to hold on loosely to how that comes about, meaning it could come in different forms than I thought. It could be more money than I thought. You know what I mean? Like just to me, that is detachment, just not the gripping of it. 
but I am very much attached to where I want to go in life. You know what I mean? Yeah. I love it. Can you share, I mean, I know it, I go back to this all the time, but you're like what I would consider famous quote about faith, holding the faith. Oh, it's not faith until it looks like it's not going to happen and you still believe. Yes. Yeah. I just, I think that's so important for people because I mean, I'm seeing this all the time with, with clients. It's like, they want to ditch the plan or the goal or the launch or like, I mean, sometimes it's like days in, I mean, I have clients, it's a couple days into the month and they're like, Oh my God, it's already the fifth of the month. How am I ever going to hit my goal? And I've had my own conversations with you like that. And you'll be like, it's like the 21st of the month. And I don't even know what I'm selling yet. Like it's all. It's yeah. All- no, I've said that to you many times or like, <laughs> I've, I've said like, um, 48 hours is like an eternity yes. <laughs> when it comes to calling something in. I, well, okay. One, I don't give up on myself ever. I do not give up on myself and I do not abandon what I said I was going to do ever. And to me, that's, feels like part of my integrity for me. Not that that, not that anyone who's ever like decided not to do a launch wasn't an integrity, but for me, if I say this is a thing we're launching and it is on sale until this time, or it's open for enrollment until this time, then no matter what is going on, like I'm going to walk that out and I'm just going to take notes of like, what's working, what's not working, what feels good, what doesn't feel good. So I can shift next time, but I don't quit halfway through like period ever. One, I think it makes you look unstable (laughs) too. Like you miss the whole learning experience, you know? Yes. Um, Yes. So I commit to the launch all the way through, no matter what. And there have been many times where because of whatever I had going on, it didn't get the emphasis or attention or focus that I wanted it to have. And then at the very end, I'm like, okay, it's time to turn it on. Or the way I say it inside my head is it's time to pull an Amanda Francis, which to me an Amanda Francis is when you do something that shouldn't be possible. Like that's synonymous to me, that's synonymous with what I've done just so many times in business. So like at the very end, I'm like, okay, it's time to really decide how this is going to go and what it's going to do. And then also I don't beat myself up when it doesn't. Cause like I have said to you and a lot of people is there's always another launch. There's always another month. Like we do our best. We learn a lot. We do it again. I don't know, but you can't do all that. If you have your self-worth tied, if you think like you're doomed to be a disappointment and never be successful because of a weird launch or whatever. So yeah, but that, so for me, what it looks like is at the end, my actions and my energy are not in the vibe of giving up my actions and the energy and the vibe of like, this can turn around. It is turning around. It'll still turn around. I'm still expecting the best reminding myself of why it's of, of how the offer is high value, why people need it, how it's going to change their lives and just like doing the thing. And it's because of my, all those beliefs, it's made me really like the end. It's made me really like the part that people think is stressful. You know, I think the last 48 hours and 24 hours and 12 hours of selling something is like the, the best part, you know, and the night after when the enrollment's already closed and like, you're either still letting people in or you're giving a grace period or whatever. I, I, I love that whole time, you know? Yeah. It's like my favorite. Yeah. So good. So, um, 
I wanted to take a second and, and tell everyone we'll link to Amanda's book and new journal, which by the way, I think that's so cool. Um, which are Do both you like the Amazon. journal? Do you have a copy of it? No, I don't have a copy of it yet, but I when I saw you announce it, I was like so excited. I really love the journal. Yeah. Yeah. I've got to get my hands on it. We all need to get our hands on it because there's this, this type of conversation and you need the book too. I, I do have the book. You sent me the book. I have the book on Kindle as well. I needed it in both places. Like <laughs> it's so good. So everyone needs to go grab that, the, um, rich as fuck book and journal. Um, and honestly, if you just search Amanda Francis on Amazon, it like pops right up. So. You'll find it. Yeah. And the audio book. If there, if you're like a listen in the car kind of person. Yes. Yeah. That I do not yeah. have, but that sounds amazing. You should get it because it was created like a year later. So there's, yeah. there's additional rants about me going off on additional things like selling my house and meeting Eddie and the kids It just has more shit. I don't know. It's just good. I love that. Okay. I'll definitely do that. Um, so okay. speaking of, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about motherhood and business just because selfishly, like that's what I'm into. <laughs> That's what I like to talk I about know. all day long. So well, you're the millionaire mom, right? Yes. <laughs> right. So, um, becoming a stepmama, what do you think, or, you know, reflecting on that, was there anything like motherhood and business and I feel like becoming a stepmom, it's like, it's like almost, it's not overnight, but it's almost overnight. It's like, oh, okay. Now suddenly you have two little kiddos, right? Like totally. what came through with that for you with business? Do you feel like there were any big lessons or shifts or even just like, I don't know. I feel like motherhood is filled with so many ways too to like lean into even more ease and, and things like that. Well, yeah, there's obviously the opportunity for that for sure. <laughs> um, what happened first was it it was so weird it's like I decided when I was a tiny child that I would like make my own money not be dependent on a man like probably not have kids till a little later in life like this was all like always the vibe like I was traditional gender norms were like never my fucking thing like I was always being an independent woman right mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden I have these two kids in my life and I feel like I'm fighting the patriarchy or something. I thought it was so weird. I felt like every day I was up against the huge like paradigm and belief system and construct that says women can't have it all. Mm -hmm. Every day I was having to go like, I love these fucking little kids with everything. And I am not going to start living in sacrifice now because it's still just out there and so available to believe that you can either have love or money, success or family, but not both. Like it's still just ingrained in our consciousness and our society. And so what was so interesting is as I was working through that, you know how I am when I'm working through something, I write a lot of posts about it. And like, mm -hmm. I talk about it and I tell everyone like what I'm believing and deciding and feeling and whatever. There were countless people commenting, saying like, no, <clears throat> women can't do it all. Stop expecting us to have it all and do it all. And I was like, I'm not expecting you to have or do anything you don't want to do. I'm just telling you, I'm going to do both at once. Mm -hmm. And they were like, but you can afford a nanny. And I'm like, and I don't have one. Not mm -hmm. that there's anything wrong with having one, but in truth, like I work while the kids are at school and that's just how I do it. And I'm about to birth two more humans. So I'm going to need to figure out what kind of support I want, you know, during the day during the work day, especially, and that'll be a whole nother journey. 
and thank the Lord, I can't afford a nanny, but that's not the thing. Mm-hmm. And I just remember being like, wait, cause I was a nanny. And I remember thinking like, I worked for moms who stayed at home and I worked for moms who had careers and me being present wasn't fixing any of their beliefs about what all they could have. Plenty of them were still sacrificing in one area or another. You know what I mean? The existence of a nanny doesn't change it, even though childcare is vital, you know? And so, I don't know, I was going through this whole fucking thing. And now like, when was I really processing that? Probably about a year ago. Um, cause me and Eddie moved in together, like around March and around April, I was like, what are all these weird beliefs? And now it's a year later. And I fully am like, no, this is who I am. This is who I was always going to be. I'm going to make a fuck ton of money always and keep going on that path. And I'm going to carve significant time out for my family because as everyone says, and it's true, like your priorities change, they just do. But I think it's like letting your priorities change to make room for all these tiny people and partner who need you without letting that mean that other stuff has to just like go downhill because now you have more love and connection with tiny people. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I I think it can feel really tough uh, though, because... I think there's so many people who don't get that in the world who, I mean, I just think it's commonly thought like a good mom is a mom that sacrifices a lot. A good mom is a mom that's super selfless or definitely doesn't put her first. And I do not think that's true. Cause well, what is that teaching your children too? Like at some point when you become a mom or your partner becomes a mom or you guys become parents or have whatever, like at some point when you grow up, if children and a family are part of what you want you need to like cease to have a career yeah and to be financially supported like why yeah I like just why like what is that showing them why is that making the world better and I don't know it's like I also here's something that probably serves me like I know who I am as a parent like I really see clearly what kind of time I carve out for them and how I connect to them and how much they're seen and heard and safe. And like, I'm fully confident in what I give them when they're in my presence. So I'm not always questioning that I'm not enough as a parent. Does that make sense? Though we all have days where like kids are crazy. Then at the end of the day, we're like, am I a failure? Do I completely suck at this? I think that's like very normal, but like, I'm not questioning myself around my ability to show up for these kids. Cause I know I'm doing it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You've decided like what kind of mom you are and, and how, yeah. How you show up for your kids. I think that's, I think one thing that I can always hear and like almost everything that you share is how much you make your beliefs, not your results, a piece of your identity. Like you get to decide what you believe you get to decide who you are And that creates the results where I think a lot of people are taking the results. And this is like the results as in like money or how you feel in your family or relationship stuff. Like we make that a part of our identity and it's just not. Totally. Yeah. 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 Deciding who you are first, knowing who you are first and forming everything around that is way more solid than like, oh, this weird thing happened with my business and this weird thing happened with my kid. And that's how I'm going to like, for my identity based on these weird things that happened or whatever. Right. And then it's, yeah. And then it's so much easier to like, not care (laughs) what everyone else thinks or what, who they think that you should be or, or that's what I found. Like I used to care so much about all that. Now it's like, honestly, I know who I am. So 
I don't really care what you think. Totally. And then the results and also like what people think and stuff tend to like line up more to what you know to be true. Like I've written similar content more recently about like my decision to be fulfilled in multiple areas of my life. And people aren't showing up in the comment section saying weird shit, you know, because like we've talked about this a million times, but I don't have room for it. I'm really confident and settled. And I just think, I don't know, haters and like naysayers and like a lot of that is like, I don't know. It's such a, I think a hard part of having an online presence, but I am still confident after all these years that it shows up so much more when I'm just unsure, unsettled, and have room for other people's opinions. And when I don't, it seems to barely exist. Yeah, so true. So you, someone whose whole business, like whole job, whole career is around money and teaching people about money. um, What do you hope to teach your kids about money? Or how do you approach that? So I didn't know what I would think or what I would believe when I got here, you know, but what it, how it is, is I feel like it's more in my job. And I say this in the audio version of my book because I didn't have kids when I first wrote the book, but I feel like it's more my job not to give them so much shit to unlearn than anything else. So I think, I think what happens is as we all know, our parents impart to us really unhelpful beliefs around money because they live by them and they talk about them and they get emotional about them. And like all their weird stuff around money is like, we're picking it up as a child. And so I'm like, my healed relationship with money modeled is more important than anything I could say or do. So I'm, I have not yet at this point sat down and said, here are the steps to manifestation with my four and six year old. (laughs) I have said things like, you know, you are the magic, you are powerful, you believing because like me and Shoshana have been praying before bed about whatever she wants to pray about. And sometimes it'll be like monsters or something. And she'll be like, but what if it doesn't work? And I'm like, your job is to believe it works. You are the magic. You are the power. It can't work if you don't believe it works. And like, to me, that is such a foundational principle for like forming strong beliefs. And it's way more important than me sitting down and like saying something about like manifesting money. Like she's four. She doesn't need to know about manifesting money. You know what I mean? But then like what I model is just integrity, integrity around money and like generosity. And that comes up in a lot of different ways so like if we're at the store and they want to buy something and the thing is a piece of crap I have said like I don't feel really great about spending my money on something that's going to fall apart because that's just true that's just my integrity with money so like I guess all the live long day I'm just being in my relationship with money and then when it comes up because my six-year-old is a little more obsessed with his piggy bank and way more like interested in making money so like he (laughs) took a bowl of amanda francis stickers for my book party brought them to school and has been selling them for a dollar (laughs) each like like what why did he decide my stickers were the valuable thing i don't even know but so he has this entrepreneurial spirit so i feel like with that my job is to like talk about like we exchange money for things we want 
And if someone wants that sticker and it's worth a dollar to them, then they're exchanging a dollar for it. Like I see what you're doing here and just kind of like reflecting that that's a way money is used. And also that like money is like a good thing and money is like a resource. And now we're going to decide what he's going to do with that money. And just like, I don't know, like that's more of the vibe right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. I love that. Not, it's like not forcing it on them. It's just, you're, yeah. It's just living it. And then there could be a time when they're whatever age and they want to go do something. And for whatever reason, that's not something I want. I see myself spending money on or wanting to spend money on for whatever reason. I think there could be a time of being like, well, how are we going to call this in? How are you going to create this? You know, so it's not that manifestation conversations won't come. It's not that they can't come when they're small. It's just, it hasn't seemed like the path of helping them understand at this time. You know what I mean? Yeah. So something I've never asked you and that I really don't think I've ever seen you talk about, and I don't know, maybe it's just people in my life (laughs) that like to say this, but, um, something that's come up, uh, that people think is great advice, something to just like warn me about (laughs) is, Being careful not to spoil your kids. Spoiling them is is only going to hurt them. It's not going to help them. Oh, fuck that. Like, what I want to hear mean? your thoughts. What does that, that mean? Okay, so I'm like a very organized Virgo, color-coded kind of woman. <laughs> and I had just or, like organized and donated some stuff out of Shoshana's closet. And I took this picture of this beautiful color-coded pretty closet and said something like, I don't remember what it was, like something like, I love our new hangers or look at the organization of her shoes or whatever it was I was excited about. I put it on my stories and I got like, I did get some like stuff about being spoiled or why does a little girl need that many dresses or like whatever it is. And I just remember thinking like, I don't think spoiled is a thing. It's, or at least it's definitely not the thing people think it is. I don't think her having a lot of dress options is going to harm her. It would only harm her if I wasn't present and I was doing those things out of guilt or if I was doing those things to um, like bypass one of her emotions. Like if when she was like Mm -hmm. angry or upset and she wanted something from me, I didn't know what to do. So I just bought her something like all of that could create some dysfunctional patterns and thinking. But the fact that she goes to her closet and I say, do you want the pink or the purple dress today? And do you want the denim or the sparkly jacket? Like, I don't think that's doing anything to her. Besides, one thing that I think will be interesting to see with money and with ideas around abundance for them is there's going to be stuff that's normalized. Yeah. Like, it's going to be normalized to have options in their closet it's going to be like normalized that their clothes are always like clean and taken care of and hung well. So like a lot of these dresses are $11 at old Navy. It's not like they have Armani closets, like she's four, but I don't know. Like, I wonder what I'm normalizing by, by taking care of her things, providing her things that look and feel good and that are soft and cozy and comfortable. Like, And just taking care of her. So for me, I'm in this whole world of like really taking care of her. And it's funny to me that someone is like, oh, you're spoiling her. Because I just don't, I don't know how, how any of this could end up being negative. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I love how you, you separated that. Like spoiling is not them having 
things, it would be more like, like you said, bypassing their emotions, doing things out of guilt. Yeah. I love it. I, I so agree with you. I feel the same way. And I don't know, like, I think the whole, like, I don't, we would need to define spoiling better. Cause what, cause I don't think it's just having stuff, especially when like one of my children is very much, uh, like, uh, gifts, love language, you know? Mm-hmm. So when Liam gets clothes and stuff from me, it's like, Oh my God, thank you. You're the best stepmom in the whole world. <laughs> and I love you. And look at the spaceship on the shirt. And like, he's so jazz and appreciative because gifts mean so much to him and with show she's like way more like uh physical touch and quality time and some different things so she doesn't fucking care when i buy her dresses it's the last (laughs) thing on her mind she does not care and i don't know but like but she still says thank you when i cuddle her or when i make her a meal she wants like i don't know are we trying to raise appreciative children or just children that don't have a lot of stuff like i don't know what people are talking about here you know what i mean Yeah, exactly. I so agree. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on and spending some time and and chatting with all this. I think everyone is just going to love it and probably listen to it on repeat. So I'm so glad. Yeah. I hope it's helpful. Yeah. Um, do you want to let everyone know where that they can come find you, follow you, that sort of thing? Yes. I'm XO Amanda Francis on all the social medias. I'm primarily on Instagram, but I also have a YouTube page with a ton of videos. I have a podcast called And She Rises with a ton of content. My book is called Rich as Fuck. It's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and Target and Walmart, and all, all the online stores. And yeah. Amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Lev. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. Bye, everyone. Bye. If you love this week's episode, can you do me two quick favors? Number one, take a screenshot of the podcast app you're listening on right now, or take a photo of where you're listening to the podcast at, post it on your stories and tag me. I'm at underscore the Taylor Lee. First of all, I'm going to squeal in excitement to hear from you, and I will even share it with my audience. Number two, If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, can you take a second and leave a quick five-star review? These two things mean the absolute world to me. They make my day. And honestly, as a podcast creator, these are the two things that you can do to help me get my message in front of even more people. Thank you so much. And I cannot wait to talk with you in next week's episode.